I'm Claire Edwards, and you're listening to Raw Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, I bring you an invigorating and insightful conversation with Dr. Kirsten Ferguson, AM, leader, journalist, and author, her latest book being Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership. The time flew by in our discussion and Kirsten was so generous, humble and funny with her stories of her career, insights and lessons learned and her take on modern leadership. Enjoy! My first encounter with Dr Kirsten Ferguson AM was in experiencing her moderate masterclass with Jim Collins of Good to Great fame. And I, I believe I learned equally from both on that day as I listened to Kirsten field questions and just the way that she explored greater depths with Jim. Dr. Kirsten Ferguson AM is an award-winning leadership expert, an author, a columnist, and company director. Her career includes three decades of senior leadership experience, including a previous appointment by the Australian Prime Minister as both acting chair and deputy chair of the ABC, which is the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Kirsten has previously been the CEO of a global consulting firm, was a senior executive at a leading corporate law firm, and spent nearly 10 years as an officer in the Royal Australian Air Force. She's also making a global impact, being named as one of the world's top 30 thinkers to watch, and she was shortlisted for the Distinguished Award in Leadership in 2021. And that is an extremely cut down bio, believe you me. She's a passionate advocate for women, for diversity and inclusion, and was recently recognized for her significant service to business and gender equality through being awarded an AM, which is a member of the Order of Australia. Our topic of conversation today is based on Kirsten's second and best-selling book, which is literally flying off the shelves, called Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership, and a conversation I am so looking forward to. Kirsten, a very, very warm welcome to Raw Authentic Leadership. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. I know. I'm, I am. I'm very excited. I, I'll try, try and curb my enthusiasm. For <laughs> I'm excited too. We're all excited. <laughs> so I've realised sort of uh, looking back on, on past podcasts is, is my curiosity around sort of how you got to be where you are today. What A little bit about your career journey, which is extremely eclectic. Um, so before sort of delving into the topic of leading with head and heart I'd, I'd love to hear a little more about your journey from I know it was a while ago but you know almost 10 years in the military and then sort of leapfrogging into a global global law firm so what were some of the key lessons for you along the way? Yeah, I'm really lucky to have had a diverse career. And I look at some people who have had, you know, the same number of years with the same employer, obviously in different roles. And I can't even imagine that because I've kind of gone in every which way direction. But together, you know, they've all sort of 
added uh, to my experiences along the way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I joined the military when I was only 17, went from a um, private girls' school in Sydney to the Australian Defence Force Academy, which was, you know, a massive culture shock, but was fortunate to do really well there and ended up duxing my graduating class and so got posted to an F-111 squadron up in uh, Queensland where I was a total Top Gun cliche and met my now husband of 25 years on the second day and he was flying f-111s oh my uh, goodness I know so it's like out of a movie but I can assure you the um the thrill of that wears off <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask quickly did you have a call sign uh, well he no he did uh <laughs> and it was very boring based on his surname but um I yeah I really loved my time in the Air Force but I always knew I was going to do something else and so I started studying law as soon as I'd graduated from ADFA and um, went off to a corporate law firm and got admitted as a lawyer but had realized I really loved leading people and Mm -hmm. so I on doing that rather than practicing and then ended up becoming CEO of a group of psychologists again another massive culture change before pursuing a career in boards and you know I think people ask me now about career planning and you know how to set yourself a sort of strategy for the future and I could never have predicted all that um, zigzagging I would have done but I look back now and it's all led to the next thing to the next thing and I think being prepared to say yes to different opportunities is incredibly important even if they're terrifying at the time I was just going to say that I mean that that takes courage I thought I thought jumping from hospitality into IT took courage but <laughs> your, <laughs> yours is a whole nother level yeah um, so what what then if you were to pick um, a, th- th- a thread through that of um, in, in each of the, the the zigs and the zags that you made. What it, what if anything was there a common thread either in your attitude or your desire or or, or something that made that feel right? Yeah, it's a that's a really interesting question. I think leadership, either being a leader or being fascinated about leadership actually has been there since day one and um, my very first degree was a history degree and I did an honours year and my thesis was looking at the leadership of the WAF in World War II here and in the UK. So, you know, I think even at that young age of 20 and here I turn 50 next month, I've been fascinated by this idea of what makes an effective leader. So that has definitely been a thread, but I've always wanted to practice as a leader as well and so have had that opportunity the same amount of time. I think the other thing that's probably allowed me to do that is that sense of I mean I suffer from imposter syndrome just like everyone else Mm -hmm. and probably at all of those different turning points have thought oh I can't possibly do this or how will that sort of work out but then a louder voice in me says well you know you've got no reason to think you're going to fail just go and do it anyway so I think there's no doubt that there's been points where I've wondered what's going to happen and is this going to be a screaming disaster Hmm. but there must be an internal drive and self-efficacy around you know your capability that I think really helps me get through. Absolutely. And and for that to come across for those who decided to take you on with such a varied background to have that, that faith in you to to invest in you. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that applies for everyone. Often you get offered a promotion or an opportunity and you think, you know, that imposter voice comes up and thinks you can't do it. But trusting in others that perhaps Mm. they've seen something you haven't seen yourself, I think that's been a really important message for me too. Very much so. And 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 looking back with 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 that thread being leadership, um, the the leading with with head and heart, is that something that in a way has always been with you and, and dormant and sort of underneath the waterline, so to speak, or is it has that been shaped by your experiences of being led by great leaders and not so great leaders how has that formed for you definitely has evolved there's no way um when I was at a law firm at the you know in the late 1990s that I was leading with my head and my heart I think I was always someone who was trying to be authentic but you know also wore the suit to work and put on the armor of the kind of leader that I thought I needed to be in those mm. environments to succeed and I think particularly in the military or places where you're in a male dominated environment and you're one of the few women you learn to just adapt your style to the culture that will help you get on and um, I think that meant suppressing you know who you actually may have been so this idea of integrating the leader you are at home and at work that was a long way from where I was at I mean I'm still of the age where my young children at the time you know I might have been home having to take a work call and I'd be hiding in the loo you know with the kids crying on the other side trying to pretend they weren't (laughs) there because that wasn't okay at the time whereas that seems as you laughed it's laughable now that we would try and pretend that that wasn't part of our lives. But back then it was really important to, to keep work and life separate. You know, there's a, yeah, there's a couple of things coming in there. Um, if I go to the most recent one first, that's something that you've got in your book about, was it Robert Kelly? You know, that was yeah. only just, not long before COVID when, 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 when his kids came in. The BBC in. interview. Yeah. And remember how shocked and, you know, we all thought and he thought it was going to be the end of his career. Yeah. It was only, I think, 2019. Yeah. Now, since then, it's happened to all of us a zillion times and we couldn't care less. But <laughs> that's how quickly things have changed. And I think the other part in listening to what you were just saying was, I suppose, the two sides to adaptive leadership, because you've got the healthy adaptive leadership and, and, and so much of the, the, the theme and the message coming across in, in your book, Head and Heart, is that it's not an either or, it's it's having everything everything to hand and being able to use um, the, the, the best as- attribute at, at the best time in, in the best mm. situation. But what you just spoke about in the military, was, was that maybe less of an, a healthy adaptive leadership? Was it a survival adaptive leadership? Um, no, and I think there is a sort of stereotype about military leadership in particular that it's all yelling and screaming and command and control like in Platoon or, you know, those kind of movies. Whereas, um, yes, when I was at ADFA at that time it was like that, but in the military itself you were taught very early on about the need to earn the respect of those that you Mm. lead. And I was a young 21-year-old officer leading you know, men, older men who'd been in the Air Force longer than I'd been alive. So you 
definitely have to adapt your leadership in a way that respects the the contributions that those you're leading make. And, you know, there's a whole lot of humility that comes with realising that you know nothing as well. So I think the adaptive style that I learnt was from entering different cultures. So going into the military and then going into a law firm, obviously they're just completely different ways that I needed to learn to lead Mm -hmm. that would be effective. And then going from a law firm to going to psychologists, again, you can't get two more different groups, (laughs) I don't think, than lawyers and psychs. And now sitting on boards, every culture of each organisation I'm involved with is different. And so you know, leading on boards is much more about leading through influence and you need to find the ways to adapt your styles there. So, yes, you're drawing on all the attributes of the head and the heart, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but the way you um, use them and when that art of modern leadership is going to be most effective will be unique in every situation. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right. There's a couple of previous guests I've, I've had on the podcast, both in the military, that, that that really opened my eyes about sort of how egalitarian and how caring the leadership Very much styles so. were. So, uh, yes. I, and uh, often, um, you know, in previous times, everyone lived on a base together. So you did have your private life was sort of part of your life in the military Mm. as well and I think it's taken a lot longer for you know civilian organizations the normal businesses we all work in through the pandemic to actually accept you know that we all have a life which of course we do and and you mentioned just then about about being on boards and and you know looking through uh, certainly looking through through your LinkedIn profile you've been super active and uh, in the past and still as a non executive director um, what 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 drew you to this and what I suppose what do you get from it and what what do you give to it Yeah, it's such a different way of thinking and being and doing because when you're sitting on boards you're not implementing you know you're not the doer uh, and you're far more removed from the day-to-day but you've got an incredible responsibility and liability obviously and I'm not sure I really understood that when I first joined a board all those years ago Mm -hmm. and you know I would have been incredibly green um, back on those first boards but what I do love is being able to lead as I said earlier through influence by Mm. asking really good questions and you know just trying to apply your expertise to often very similar challenges but in very different you know contexts and that's what I love about sitting on boards and by you know working with other people around the table who might have really different experiences to Mm. you or different ways of tackling problems and you know sometimes it can be really challenging board roles are really difficult and particularly when things aren't going well Mm. and so it brings out a whole range of other new skills that you might not necessarily practice in other parts of your life that said I've always needed to do something as well because I find board roles as I said you're hands off whereas I love doing and so that's why I've always throughout that my whole board career been doing other things whether it's writing books or columns or doing campaigns or whatever it might be Um, I do a lot of public speaking all of that is me then doing that I miss um, just by going to you know a monthly board meeting. 
you do you do do so much and I want to move on in a moment to um, the voluntary work that you do but when you were talking about being on the board and influencing there was something something just beautiful in the book around um, words and wisdom uh, can you share that with us please because yeah. I, I just love it this is what I coined the word to wisdom ratio. <laughs> that, um, I'm not, I'm definitely not an auditor. There's no numbers to this, but I remember when I was first starting my board career and, you know, I would feel I needed to contribute to pretty much every topic and I'm sure I rattled on for far longer than was needed. <laughs> Yet I was noticing at the same time that other much more senior directors around the table may say very, very little at all, but every word they said was gold and you know mm. it might just be one single question and it would totally change the course of the conversation and I was thinking god you know <laughs> what how do they do that and you know it really made me think there's something about this word to wisdom ratio and my word to wisdom ratio was not particularly healthy at the start <laughs> it took me a long time a lot of words to say anything and contribute any value of or wisdom whereas you know these people who were much more experienced had an incredibly healthy word to wisdom ratio. Uh. And I still use that now thinking, you know, if I come out of a meeting or, you know, any interaction and you can just reflect on, well, how did I do then? And did I need to perhaps stop talking and allow space for others to contribute? And I think, I think I'm a first year apprentice still. Um, <laughs> we all are. <laughs> we all are. Is there anyone who comes to mind who for you embodies that, that word to wisdom ratio? Um, well, it's funny you should say that. I One that everyone will know, I um, have worked on a board with Ida Buttrose for some time ah. and uh, she's pretty good at using very few words to communicate precisely what she <laughs> means. And, um, you know, so she's she's got a very good <laughs> word to wisdom ratio. And, and together with that sense of presence, yes, that must be formidable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's fabulous, fabulous. So, yeah, go back back to doing um so yeah i mean just reading what what you're into is 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 tiring and i just have so much admiration <laughs> for you. you must be so disciplined um but you've you you are still um a crisis support worker with lifeline aren't you that's the equivalent of the yes. samaritans um what what have been some some of the key lessons in that and how you've brought your experience from from your military from your corporate career from your work on boards what what how does I, that help you in that role well look I certainly don't do it to help me in my work role you do it I simply do it because I you know feel I can hopefully add something of value to someone in their time of need um I absolutely love it because it's incredibly rewarding you know it's a three or a four hour shift and I don't think about anything else other than the person on the other end of the phone you know mm. that's they get your complete attention and in every call you're leading with empathy and so you might get a caller that is really quite challenging to listen to they might have very different experiences or views on the world than you yet you know you practice 
leading with empathy the questions yeah. and the way you help them through that challenge is not about you at all it's only about the person on the other end of the phone and I think for all of us who come from privileged backgrounds where we're fortunate to have a roof over our heads and we know where our next meal's coming from it makes uh, you much more alive to the lived experience of a of others by mm. you know volunteering in this way and so I mean I just I yeah it's really rewarding mm. sorry I did mean in, in your role as a crisis support worker. Yeah, yeah 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 it's and it, the other thing I love about it is you're completely anonymous so it doesn't matter about mm. my experience and in fact anyone listening who's interested they don't ask you anything you don't provide a cv it's all on your ability to connect with people mm. and so i loved that the other work crisis support workers i would sit alongside had such diverse backgrounds and yeah. um, i think it is really rewarding if anyone's thinking of doing that and 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 it's so so needed so yes, I'll, I'll actually I'll put the details on the show notes about Lifeline and uh, and volunteering. So one of the traits there that you that you talked about, sort of leading into um, head and heart, was empathy. Um, it's the last chapter in your book, and oh gosh, it's such a powerful one, and and really gets you thinking about empathy being a double edged sword, and 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 what sort of it, it for want of a better word. That, that hard empathy, that real empathy is. But just sort of putting that aside for one second, um, can you share with us, please, that there's, there are eight attributes uh, or qualities of, of modern-day leadership that you identified um, for head-based, for heart-based. How did all that come about? How did you mm. arrive at those eight? Yeah, and it was a... Um... Everything in the book is evidence-based. So I, you know, yeah. did not want to write a leadership book that just makes up some ideas or <laughs> shares my anecdotes. And so to get to the eight, I started with many, many more and I sort of listed and went through every quality, you know, all the good qualities that you hear about uh, good, effective leaders. And we, in our research to develop the scale, which I did with QUT Business School, mm -hmm. um, started with a question set of about 54 questions. And the final scale, which I'm sure we'll talk about and love people to go and try, yeah. is 24. So the eight have come from which of the attributes actually correlated the most with one another and with the idea of being a modern leader. And there's forehead, for heart, and that's because you want balance. The yeah. whole idea that you can be all one or all the other or, you know, that just isn't how modern leadership works. Mm. And the other thing to remind everyone before I go through them is that you have all of these. Yeah. You might not think you do, and empathy is a really good example where you might think that in my job I don't get to show empathy at all, but you've got bucket loads of it at home with your family or in your community or your church or whatever it is that you enjoy doing. And it's the whole idea is of modern leadership to bring and integrate that yeah. leader that you are outside of work with the one that you are. So the four attributes of leading with the head, the first is curiosity. And that's really just having not just a thirst for knowledge on some things, but really on anything and being prepared to challenge assumptions and what we thought we knew. Hmm. The second is wisdom. And that's really around decision making, but it's being able to assess what's known and unknown, weighing up risk and reward and things like that. 
third is perspective. And in layman's terms, that's being able to read the room. And this one of all eight correlated the highest with all the other attributes. So if you've got this as your leading attribute, then it really is like a superpower, turbocharge for being a modern <laughs> leader. And that's where you can, I mean, obviously I'm talking about, it could be a physical room, but it's more likely to be your organisation or an yeah, industry yeah. or the rest of the world. You can read signals. So anyone who's aware of the concept of Carl Wick's sense making, it's that mm -hmm. being able to interpret signals as they come in, think a few steps ahead, and then really be able to think through the implications of decisions. And you can also see who's missing from the room as well, which is incredibly yeah. important. And then the fourth and final uh, attribute of leading with the head is capability. And that's um, around having this growth mindset idea. It's being capable at obviously whatever it is you can do, but also believing you're capable and, and knowing that continual learning and improvement, you know, is part of being a capable leader. So they're the four leading with the head, but you cannot lead just with those, although plenty of leaders try. Mm. And unfortunately, plenty of organisations also reward and recruit and promote based on those head-based attributes. But we need leaders who can also draw on those of the heart. So the four heart-based attributes, the first is humility, and that's obviously being willing to seek out the contributions of others, but importantly also being aware of your limitations. Yeah. The second is self-awareness, having that high level of insight into the impact that we have on others. Third is courage, and that's really courage to speak up for what you believe in, even in the face of pressure not to do so. And then the fourth is empathy, which we touched on. And empathy, I think it's the most misunderstood of mm. all the attributes. It's not pity or sympathy or compassion. It's too much empathy is a problem. Um, it can lead to confirmation bias and it can lead to you taking on the feelings of others, which which isn't healthy, but if you can potentially put yourself in the shoes of others and actually try and appreciate the lived experiences of people different to yourself, mm. then you're much more likely to be able to lead with empathy and you're also more likely to be able to lead around diversity and inclusion because unless you're even accepting that some people have a different lived experience to you, that's going to be impossible. And this was one of the things that, that I loved about the book was the way that you, um, the, the, the different correlates is so saying that, you know, if this is, if, if, you, if you're strong in this particular area, then it, it, there's a correlation between this and, and certain other attributes. And, and the other thing that I loved, I, I love about the, the way that it's set out in terms of a framework for, okay, so what, what is this attribute? Um, how does it how does it benefit and also the really important thing is you know what stops us mm. and and how do we lead and i'd like to just i suppose for a moment um hone in on the what stops us and just in, in your experience in in your in in your own leadership experience where you've either been leading or you've or you, you've been led or you, you've um, had, you know, close relationships with other leaders. What do you think stops some leaders from being able to embrace this holistic way of leading with head and heart? I think 
the overriding issue is that we've had it ingrained into us for centuries that leaders are all-knowing heroic leaders with all the Mm. answers and if you go into leadership thinking or having that expectation even just of yourself then that puts a huge amount of pressure on you to be perfect and to have an answer to every problem as it comes up and I think this ability to be aware of your limitations can be scary for some leaders and that's when you see people who fall victim to being you know the smart needing to be seen as the smartest person in the room Mm. and they're those diminishers as Liz Wiseman calls them that you know take up all the space and leave no room for anyone else to have an opinion there are a lot of leaders that fall victim to that including ourselves you know it's just part of that need to um, you know it feels uncomfortable to say actually I don't know the answer to that Um, but but then if you follow up with I'm not exactly sure of the best way forward but I know you've got a lot of experience in this Claire you know what do you think could work for us or asking questions yeah um, it it's still it builds trust so not knowing the answers is actually a relationship builder not a relationship destroyer and uh, I think more and more leaders need to sort of be able to practice how that works and then that'll really build your confidence to do it again and again so let's let's say oh gosh we um we're inviting people to complete the the head and heart leader scale and I'd love you to to talk to that a, a little bit more. I suppose my question is around, um, you, you know, those people who who go out and buy the book, they're, <laughs> they're the ones who are already uh, curious and keen to develop. Mm. Um, so for those who sort of don't know what they don't know, so to speak, and I don't mean that from an ignorant perspective, but, you know, those people who have... Uh, who have um, come along through their career with that sort of stereotypical um, belief around leadership, Um, are they, in your opinion, coachable? Can we change? Oh, it's tricky. They need to want to change. (laughs) And so, you know, often those kind of people may themselves come to realise that they're not being promoted. They're not reaching that absolute pinnacle of their career that they're looking for and that will be because I'm sure they may well be just have focused on all of their industry knowledge and their technical knowledge Mm. and yet they have not invested time and energy in understanding how they could be a better human leader. Um, I do believe everyone is coachable. My exception to that is Donald Trump. I'm just not sure that he's ever going to develop humility. Um, (laughs) I have to be with you on that one. I know. I, I just, I think though that it requires as a threshold a willingness to want to change. And Mm. that's the same with any behaviour change. You know, you can't force that on anyone. Um, But it's, you know, I think it sometimes feels scarier than it's going to be in reality. And, you know, nothing in this book or in what we're talking about is asking people to be less than. It's not 
asking them to lose anything about what makes them a great leader now. It's just being prepared to rethink if the way they do things now is the most effective that mm. they can be. Mm. Is there perhaps, just perhaps, a different way you could ask for something to be done tomorrow or a different way that you could seek feedback? Or if you're not getting feedback at all, everyone sits there quietly. Is there potentially a need for you to look in the mirror and really think about why no one is being prepared to speak up? What is it? What's your blind spot you're not seeing? And and that and and that's so important. That brings me on to so so this so that the head and heart leader scale it's a, it's a self assessment. So obviously we are we're, we're answering it in the way that we believe ourselves to be. Yes. So. Uh, have you got any plans to do a 360? I'd love to see this in a 360. <laughs> oh, let me take a breath first. <laughs> um, it would be fascinating because, yeah, one of the flaws of a self-assessment is, for example, humility. Humility is my number one attribute. And we haven't even said, for anyone listening, go to headheartleader.com. It takes five minutes. There's 24 questions and you'll get a personalised report. And I'm sure we'll talk about yours soon, Claire. Mm -hmm. But um, it's, you know, the problem with, say, humility as a self-assessment is the research shows that the higher you consider yourself to be or score yourself uh, as humble, the less likely others are to score you as humble. So that's always a rude awakening every time I look at my results and humility is number one. (laughs) I think I'm probably not all that humble, but, you know, certain aspects of humility you might be, which is always wanting to seek the contributions of others. (laughs) From that perspective, I know it's true. But it it is always challenging with a self-assessment. 360, I don't know, as I said, let me take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> but as I, um, you know, uh, I uh, was listening into um, a masterclass, a book review that you were doing this morning with the growth faculty, and there's a couple of things there. Uh, one that you mentioned that you know, being if a leader then has that courageous vulnerability to to go out and share their results with their people and 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 solicit feedback from that yeah can, can you talk to that absolutely and I notice people are sharing them on LinkedIn their results and it's just driving our conversation because there's no pass or fail yeah there's no way that uh, you know you can have or be showing someone that you're no good at something we've all got all eight of them all the scale will show you is how you show up in a self-assessment relative to each of those Mm -hmm. and compared to a sample group. So I think it's a perfect tool to, if you're not already getting feedback from your team to say, look, I've gone and done this and you guys might want to go and do it as well. Totally up to you. Um, But here it shows that I've got um, really high humility, but I read that (laughs) that's probably not likely. What, What should I learn from this? Or, you know, what areas do you think it isn't reflective of what your experience is? Because whatever little nuggets you can get from that conversation are going to be valuable. You know, if someone says to you, actually, Kirsten, I'm surprised that your wisdom is so low because you're always so wise, (laughs) you're always weighing up decisions or whatever, then your answer being so different is a really important piece of information for you to go, okay, my self-assessment of myself, and that means my self-awareness of the impact I'm having is nothing like 
what I thought it was. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, I might have undersold or I perhaps could be well more confident than I should be on the impact. Oh, it's it's, it's absolute gold, though, to especially if you're getting that sort of feedback from more than one person to be able to self-reflect and say, OK, so what's going on here for, for there to be? this gap in perception Mm, what am I missing Mm. (laughs) I'm missing something and we've (laughs) all got blind spots as you know so you know if you've got someone who's willing to tell you what one of those might be thank them because I mean that is gold as you said oh yeah and um, and if I may offer a little observation from this morning um, you uh, inadvertently demonstrated huge amounts of humility by missing out on opportunities to promote the book (laughs) I know. Well, that's because it just feels so weird. But I mean, I think, and don't forget that the scale that we're talking about is a point in time. So, you know, when I did it, perhaps I was or wasn't feeling particularly humble or, you know, same with your results. Whereas you Mm. could do it next week and you've spent the whole day, you know, in conversations caring about people. I might have done a whole long shift at Lifeline. And so empathy could be much higher. It's not it's not an exam and yeah. it's not telling you that you are or you're not a head or a heart leader. It's simply something for you to start having conversations with yourself or with others about your own leadership. I do. I, th- I, do. I think it's, I think it's a great conversation starter. And if um, I may plug your book, um, <laughs> the, just the um, one of the, I suppose one of the questions the, this morning was around, well, okay, so people have read your book, what now? And and I was sort of screaming at the screen to say, well, actually, it, it is all in the book. And whether you choose a coach, whether you, you know, choose one of the workshops that, that you facilitate, there's still so much in there to be able to start that process of reflection. And I think what... What I enjoyed so much about it was the fact that it's evidence-based. I mean, the amount of stories and interviews and every single statement that you make, you you then reference at the back. So mm. it keeps it 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 keeps it certainly kept me engaged. And I've got I must have thirty half-read leadership books up on the bookshelf there. Um, so the, the, there's a couple of things there that it is just to say for me to say it's super super practical um mm. and it's something that a leadership team could do together it's um you know i'm sure it's the base we need to say that you do do executive coaching <laughs> i i do although less and less i i'm doing enjoying the workshops are a lot of fun actually mm. with mm. groups but yeah you saying it's practical that was definitely a goal evidence based was absolutely a goal and then just being a rollicking good read I just wanted Ah. I'm like you I have so many half-read books as well and I think you know I wanted stories and I like telling stories and you know reading about interesting people and I loved the diversity of the people that I got to speak with they're not your usual people that we read about in leadership books and yet they are absolutely leading and and that was a challenge for me in the podcast because uh, you know I'm I'm so passionate about storytelling and there's in in almost every page the stories that pop out and and I'm thinking oh you know can you share some of the stories but then I don't want I I go back to when I read that story and the aha moment 
that I got from it. And I don't want to rob anybody else of the aha <laughs> moment from the story. Do you get what I mean? Oh, I do. <laughs> Particularly that first story, which oh. I'm always getting asked about, but it's like a spoiler alert. No. I like people to read. <laughs> so anyone listening, I'm not going to tell you that story. Go and read the first few pages and see if you get hooked. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Very, very much so. And I'm curious as well. I mean, with how, when did you start researching this book? Because there's just, yeah. there's so much in there. I, I, I don't know. I think um, the whole process for me takes about a, a year and I'm already thinking about the next one now and probably four months of writing and I don't know, six, eight months of just on and off researching and just constantly reading. And then I have my little process and I'm very, um, uh, dis- as you said, I am very disciplined. Mm. And so, you know, had a whole sort of system for how I gathered all the data and how I got all of the research. But um, I'm so glad you noticed all the referencing because, you know, nothing annoys me more than just people making stuff up <laughs> or using someone else's ideas and not attributing it. So yes. I'm absolutely, you know, crazy about making sure every single thing is attributed to wherever it should be. And I think it builds trust, as you said, that um, it is an evidence-based book, but not written in a way that sounds like a textbook. Oh, exactly. It's, it's exactly what you say. It's a rollicking good read. It's It's got the best of both worlds. And I'm exactly the same because if I actually was, um, I was in a presentation last week and somebody put something up on the slide and, and it broke up off me because I'm saying, well, according to who? Mm. Um, there's this. And what's know, their or, or, motivation or bias or where, yeah. you know, how did they test that? And <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean that everything um, needs to be so, I mean, there's interviews in there, which are just anecdotes, really. They're mm. people's opinions. But I think that's why you have to balance it all together. And and speaking, sort of leading from that into the interviews, um, you have such an eclectic, um, I suppose, breadth, uh, array of people who, mm. you, who, you, who you did consult with, who you did interview. Um, can you share maybe one that stood out that was a surprise or that you... Yeah, Yeah. I mean, and it really is from people like Mike Henry, who runs BHP, or Sally McManus, Secretary of the ACTU, Mm. through to teachers and actors and activists and scientists and you name it. One of the um, interviews I I found the most fascinating was, you know, from a lived experience so different to my own, and that was the trans activist and academic Eves Rees. And they spoke about, you know, perspective and this skill of leading, uh, reading the room, which is so important about how well honed that was for them mm-hmm. because they had learnt about entering rooms where they felt unsafe and having to judge, you know, is a room safe or not and, and how, what do I need to understand and what's going on, what signals are happening. And they were really also very interesting in talking about their background where they'd come from a very traditional leadership um, family. Uh, The parents were judges from memory, judges Mm -hmm. and solicitors. And when they came out as trans, they found themselves leading from the margins. And what 
that looks like. And I just, you know, I love being surprised by stories and yeah. it is hard to pick a favourite because there are so many. Um, Neodal Nguyen, who is um, an Australian lawyer and human rights activist who grew up in, you know, refugee camps and it, she she just had extraordinary stories of courage and what her mother went through. So all of them are really fascinating, but I really loved the stories that were mm. most different to our yes. normal lived experience yeah very much no it's funny I'm I'm just looking through now and I've got well so much so so many things that with orange <laughs> that, that highlighted but um Love one it. of them here <laughs> is that if I can, can I read a little passage of course um so it's right towards the end in more of the how-to stuff and it says um learning the art of being a modern leader has come with time and experience for business leader Miriam Silver you can go through the hard work to integrate your head and heart leadership, but there is no shortcut, she says. You must work through the pain of learning about yourself and understand there are things that you'll need to change. And then it's funny, uh, this is the other one I've highlighted. Academic and trans activist Eve Reese is excited by the new model of modern leadership, which they have seen as possible. It's the capacity to switch between modes, which is really the mark of a leader knowing when to be playful, when to be humble, and when to be fierce, mm. and not being afraid to show all those different sides rather than only seeking to be dominant all of the time. Yeah, I know, such wisdom. Oh. <laughs> yeah they're amazing and um yeah just so many different leaders you know and I loved talking to Claire Wright who's a professor of history uh and she couldn't understand why I was talking to her at all and you know she is a leader when you look at everything that she has achieved she mm -hmm. is absolutely a leader but for so many unless you know it's tied up in notions of that formal leadership command and control it's hard for people to see that they're leading yeah yeah, which brings me on to um, that. There's a number of times, and there's a couple of things that you say in the book that I'd love to just pick your brains a bit more on. The first one is that leadership is a series of moments, and the second before I forget is that everyone is a leader. Talk yeah, to, talk to me. <laughs> oh my goodness, both of those are massive concepts. <laughs> Um, let's start with the second one first. Everyone is a leader. Of course, that doesn't mean we're all the CEO. That would be chaotic. But I do believe that everyone is leading, whether they intend to or not. And it might just be uh, in their families or it might be in the way you conduct yourself if you're um, I use the example of a supermarket checkout operator during the mm. pandemic who led in a really difficult moment with a, a terrible customer. Um, they are leading even though they don't have, you know, business cards and employees and things like that. It might be personal leadership, but they're still leading. The idea that leadership is a series of moments that has come from, well, this story that we're not talking about that's yeah. in the first few pages. And then when I think about, you know, every moment you look back on, it's hard not to see them as moments, mm. moments where you can really make a difference or moments where you can totally shatter someone's confidence mm. and do a, a terrible job as a leader. And so I think the more we realise that every moment is this opportunity to leave a positive legacy, um, I think it means we 
don't need to think about what the next 50 years are going to look like or whatever it is. It's just think about today. You know, what yeah. are the moments where you're going to really make a difference today? Absolutely. And and as you're saying that, I think back to a, a, a pivotal moment in my sort of management career, early days where um, I, I had a, a team of 16 people and there was a young intern who had the courage to feedback to me that I was micromanaging and my level <laughs> yep. of self-awareness was I thought I was a great manager. I thought I was empowering and trusting. And she just turned around and said, Claire, it doesn't matter what we do. It'll never be good enough for you. Um, mm. And that that was absolute gold. I still haven't found her to thank her. Um, but when you say a series of moments, that was, yeah, that, that, that was a huge, huge learning moment for me. And, and linking into my um, head and heart leader scale, self-awareness is down at number six. So what does that say, Kirsten? Uh, well, I, it probably means that you could perhaps, you know, focus a little more on getting some feedback maybe or um you know because it might be a bit more challenging to know the impact that you're having yeah. on others and I, I think for all of us self-awareness is really difficult 95 percent of us think we're self-aware and something like 10 to 15 percent of us actually are as judged by those we lead so all of us have blind spots knowing when you know your emotions are about to overtake you I, I use the example in the book as you know of Will Smith taking mm. the stage at the Oscars you know he had what is called an amygdala hijack he definitely was not regulating his emotions if you can um, and I'm not suggesting that this is a challenge for you but for some you know and I'm one where um, most of the time I can stop myself from shooting off an email where I'm really cranky or, you know, picking up the phone, but not always. And sometimes I realise it too late. And, mm. you know, fortunately never has had significant um, impact, but I always feel really terrible afterwards that I haven't caught myself in that moment. And that's where, you know, that self-awareness of, okay, what, what's going on in your body? You know, when you've just got that fire, you can't even think straight. You've yeah. got to reply straight away. And I think recognising that is all about self-awareness and we can all work on that all the time. <laughs> so dare I ask, um, what are, uh, were a couple of things that went, you, you must have done your own uh, self-assessment um, and I know it's point in time, but were there any aha moments for you in the one that you did? Um, well, yes, always. <laughs> and I mean, I was surprised. The wisdom one surprised me and it didn't surprise me, I think, because it was, uh, I like to think I know how to make really good decisions. And I think it's sometimes I actually, I do. Mm -hmm. But uh, I reckon I do have a tendency to just go, that sounds great, let's do it, and then figure it out. Um, my humility and self-awareness were quite high. Mm -hmm. I think my ability to read the room was higher than the norm group. But then, you know, my curiosity was a little bit lower and I was surprised about mm -hmm. that. I'm a bit less curious than everyone else. And I, that 
isn't what I was expecting. Um, and my capability is a bit less. And that's really not around your ability to do your job. It's really around how much you believe, you know, you can do well at your job and how much um, you feel constant and never-ending improvement is an important part of mm. being better. And so they're just all things for you to take away and think about and as I said earlier, it doesn't mean you don't have all these things. And of course, you know, wisdom for me, of course, there are times I'm incredibly um, disciplined around my decision making, but it also shows that there's times where I'm not and that I can work on that. Yeah. And I had a similar um, reflection in my one. So uh, capability for me was at seven and wisdom was at eight. (laughs) Uh, And how I read that was the capability is uh, around being self-employed and a little bit of imposter syndrome and a little bit of comparing to others. And I think the wisdom is sometimes in my enthusiasm mm. to, oh, come on, let's just do it. Uh, and I don't, I, I don't have that responsibility for other people at yes. this point in time. So, but, and I think it's, it is such a great tool for self-reflection, for discussion, uh, and as a basis for development and I've just looked at how long we've been chatting and I'm going to have yes, to wrap this up. We could chat all day but for anyone listening please go and visit headheartleader.com because you'll get your report too. Yes I I, I, I can't emphasize that more and um, I will if you follow Kirsten on LinkedIn I'll put your I'll put your LinkedIn details there and I'll put the uh, the website details on there and just you know, I know how busy you are, Kirsten. I am so appreciative of not just your time, but your honesty, your humor. I've loved oh, every every minute of it. Thank, thank you. you. It was such a pleasure to be here. Go well. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening and we hope that this conversation provided the insights and inspiration that you were looking for. Did you know that Authentic Leadership is currently ranking sixth in the top 25 Australian leadership podcasts? You can help us get to number one by heading over to Apple iTunes and doing three quick things. One, subscribing. Two, giving us a positive rating. And three, writing a short review. This is the most effective way for us to get the key messages around 21st century leadership out into the community. And before you go, if you're in the business of learning and development or HR and are looking for a facilitator or speaker, let's talk. You can head over to the BrainSmart website, that's brain-smart.com to see examples of our programs or email me, Claire, that's C-L-A-R-E at brain-smart.com. Go well and thanks for listening.